are we are getting into the office and we are getting ourselves set up and we're getting we're laying out our desk and just kind of getting ourselves ready. Oh, don't don't even get me starting on on the on the desk situation. Paul knows this because like I had a panicky moment, and I think that's also like back to the point of like why I think the last episode was less energetic. To to come into your office and to realize that your dock uh, is is kaput and it's not working anymore and your screen is not on and your laptop is not charging and your mic is not set up and you know there's five minutes to the recording and then cue enormous amounts of panic of <laughs> like right now it's just everything is on top of each other <laughs> like if I breathe the wrong way <laughs> things are gonna start falling. <laughs> But I'm used to it now, right? Like as as the second the second time around, yeah. I'm okay with this. But like last time, we're just like, oh, just don't just don't break anything. This I kept, I kept on checking, like you know, oh, are you recording the right thing? Is this like oh, oh okay? Like, and speaking of that, I just realized I think I'm don't say I'm using the I'm using the wrong mic. It's fine. No, it isn't. Uh, it doesn't matter. Oh, oh no. It's fine. Oh no. Oh oh no. Oh, okay. 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 So. <laughs> For for the listeners at home, I just went on a on a tangent about how chaotic currently my desk setup is, whilst I had to hit a very hard restart because I was using the wrong mic. <laughs> so if you suddenly if there's a if there's a sudden like uh, up again, upticking audio quality, it's like oh this is why. But we've already I mean we can leave in the discussion about how. I didn't. I didn't use headphones the first time around. Okay. It's okay. I'm okay. It's fine. I'm okay. It's all good. We're okay. we're, we're learning. Energy. We're learning. Energy. You okay. <laughs> Energy. <laughs> Chaos. Oh dear. Oh, I have to make an executive decision on the editing. And I think we're also like we're we're not we're not massively into the. I think there's there's some good stuff in that discussion that we can pull out but we'll um we'll listen to it and see how it how it goes <laughs> so I mean, the thing is and if not then we have made, made to episode three and we already have our first lost episode which i feel like no every podcast has, has, has to have <laughs> no. at least one no, no don't say that uh the, the only way i can describe is the, the feelings i'm feeling right now is just defeat and it's not a good feeling to have at the start of the day <laughs> but unfortunately like and this might be a little morbid to to bring up but like like the aviation uh industry unfortunately a lot of the checklists and and checks are written in blood (laughs) this feels like like like, (laughs) this feels like a checklist item that has now been written by losing about half an hour of content (laughs) yeah okay oh my god (laughs) Hang on. Cut up that. Cut up that. Early morning, Lydia. You're getting what you're getting. Wow. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm being censored. I'm being censored. (laughs) No, I just written. Anyway. There is a note in our common notion file that currently says cut about written in blood. I'm being actively censored. What is this? I know that my timing is my my timing is impeccable. Now I know, cut. I know. No, is if you now cut that discussion, <laughs> but leave that comment in. Oh my! Um, it's it's all good. 
It's different energy. <laughs> different energy. I just... I really... I just like... <laughs> It took, me, okay. it took me three episodes, everyone, to make Paul practically cry. <laughs> that is fine. The thing is, the thing is, is that, and Lydia knows this because of the conversations that we've had that we before we started recording them. There is a, there is definitely an aspect of my my humour that that I I would ever I would be very reluctant to ever let out into the public domain. <laughs> It's okay, you know, we, we I think we learn from your mistakes. That's what you do. You learn from the mistakes. You don't make that mistake no, again. You absolutely don't. But checklists. I love me a checklist. I love me a checklist. There is a book called The Checklist Manifesto that I read about I think it's about like four or five years ago. The whole uh, because it's been such a long time, I've only remembered the the act the active outcomes of you know steps that I can take within my own life. But the the gentleman who wrote the book is a surgeon and worked with surgeons and sort of like implementing all of these checklists on how do you actually keep people alive. And a lot of the mentality and a lot of the, I guess, perspectives on how do you approach tasks that are, you know, maybe not as important as keeping people alive, but are important to your work, you know, be it day to day, be it, you know, again, podcast recording, be it, you know, presenting to people, be it just kicking off your, kicking off your day. So I have a lot of sort of, like I say virtual checklists, like checklists in my brain that I keep on doing. Mm -hmm. I used to be very meticulous as well about having them somewhere in my system. But since like moving to between Obsidian, Notion, all of those sort of like, you know, information collection systems, it has been, it actually has been a while since I've made a checklist and I I feel compelled to actually start doing them again, especially post this situation. (laughs) I've already made a mental note and I should write that, I should write this down that we need to have a an actual checklist and we we like to start just getting on the call and just start recording because it's fun and chaotic it's fun yeah but having i think but we can still have a checklist which is uh, have, have, a, have a short checklist. Yeah. item number three lydia have you checked your mic <laughs> <laughs> item number one paul have you got a glass of water <laughs> It's simple things it's simple things uh but no i'm also a big fan of checklists and to-do lists and I it's it's kind of a gets a little bit dangerous because I kind of get so into writing out and planning out my checklists that if I'm like oh I, I, I've got a checklist and now and uh let's now let's now do this and I have to stick to it and if I miss something then oh I missed it interesting as well just Thinking back to it, for someone that, and this is, this is, I mean this sincerely, for someone who doesn't set goals, it's interesting that you're a checklist person. Because that, does that make sense? In in that, like, because because I think it's just an interesting thing. It's an interesting dynamic. I think it's it's interesting how you, how you approach the, like, that a checklist is clearly a defined, you know, is, I guess, a a small time, small amount of time list of things to do also a repetitive i think the repetitive is where i get really hooked in so i'm a big fan of automation in general like if there's anything this is back to like you know being being really really techy in my previous career and then you know still being relatively techy in pre-sales for me anything that is repeat like anything that i have to do twice or let alone three times and like you know in the same sort of set like uh like sequence of steps I'm going to find a way to automate it in one way or another. Um, 
and it, I guess that's just a sort of f- flowed into my mentality as well when it comes to checklists. Because what are checklists, right? Is you automating your brain of taking sequential steps to do an action right in one way or another. And I think that's you know, because we forget things, right? We don't do things perfectly every time. And I find myself annoyed mostly at myself when I do miss things that are you know, blindingly obvious of like, you need to, you know, just just do this every time you do this one action that you're going to do every day, every week, every month even. It's actually, it gets worse the the bigger gap of time you have between doing the actions because you forget. Uh, another thing I do have a list is like packing list. So I do have like a travel packing list that is like a, a, a never living piece of document that is just every single time I have like a, a, a single, like a solo travel list. I have a like pair travel list, like whenever I travel with my partner, um, because that's one of the responsibilities I have whenever we're traveling is like just because, I, you know, you know, no, yeah. No, yeah, no offense to him, but I'm a lot better at these things than him because I, I, oh, 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 yeah, no, I, 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 it's the same in my relationship. My, my other half is much better at this, and we have the same. We have a shared note on our phones that is like I think it's literally called stuff to take away, and we adjust it depending on if we're going like to my parents for the weekend or if we're going like away on holiday abroad for a week. Clearly, the things will change. But that is also not just stuff to take. It would be like, have we turned the oven off? And I can't remember where I learned this, and I still do it to this day, is that when I am going, when I'm leaving, when I'm leaving the house normally, I, I just lock the door and leave. But if I'm going away, like overnight, for any amount of time, I will do something different, right? I'll do a little dance, I'll like tap <laughs> on the door. But the reason that you do it is to your point about automation, actually. Is that your brain? Is you do we we kind of consciously start to or subconsciously start to automate these things? We do we talk about doing things on autopilot, and you don't remember you don't remember every day getting up, getting dressed, brushing your teeth. You don't consciously remember you doing doing them unless there was something about that time that was different. So leaving the house, locking the door, you're like, did I do it? And I've had enough times. When I've left and I've been halfway down the road and gone, I don't know if I did. I have I have a trick for you, which you know, as much as I love the idea of you doing like a little dance and a little tappy tap on the on the door as you're leaving to for holiday, which is you know incredibly cute. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I record a video, so this is something that my mom that my mom does. Oh, okay. So, so yeah. she is quite anxious about like she's always been quite anxious about like leaving the house in one way or another, and. I sort of one inherited that <laughs> and to have inherited also her method, which is recently she started uh, recording videos. So she has like a little video of her walking around a house, checking all the windows, checking all the things, like checking all the, the power sockets, uh, checking the, the oven, right? Checking all of this. And then at the, at the end, she just like leaves, closes the door, makes sure that it's locked and then stops the video. She almost never goes back to that video. Like, I think she only used it once, sort of as a, as a you know, is it is it like just, you know, going back and checking, like, did I do this specific action? But sometimes just having taken that video is enough for her, for her to be, to have like a, like a set of, like a, like a peace of mind that the house has been left in a way that is not going to be, you know, a pile of ashes when they're back. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, and I, I my other way of doing it is that I will go around and I will say, I will say out loud. The the thing the saying out loud by the way like that's something that I read that a lot of uh, was it was it the, the the Japanese like train operators do that 
Like when they say like out loud, oh, yeah, because like yes. they have like, and, and they have them in the UK as well. I think it's in every country. Like you have folks that are checking if folks are on the track, if folks have gotten into the train. Yes. But I yes. was reading that in Japan, yes. they actually vocalize it to the person next to them of like, this is clear, no people on the track. The next person goes, this is clear, no people on the track, right? But just vocalizing the fact that, yes, in fact, I have looked and I'm confirming vocally that this is in fact true what I'm thinking. And and that has I, I think there was some some metrics as well of how much that has like increased the safety when it comes to like people on platforms. Yes, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what little things can do. And I think it's it's just those kind of small small changes that and in 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 our world in pre sales, it's why if I'm if I'm going if I'm setting up like for a demo or presentation, I will say, I will go through it and I will kind of go, this is done, this is done, this is done, this is open, this is ready to go. Because it does two things. One, it kind of, it forces you to go through those steps and you're not complacent about it. But you also then know that you've done it. Funnily enough, when it comes to pre-sales, like I automated a whole bunch of that. So obviously like nowadays I, I do, you know, not, not at many presentations though, and I've changed systems, I've changed a couple of things, but especially at the start when I was doing practically like back-to-back, very repetitive sort of presentations and sessions, I had like a little script that would like fire up all of the UIs that I needed to fire up. I would have the presentation open. I would have like the note-taking thing, like on different sides of my screen. Um, I didn't, I never, it never, that script didn't lift the transition from a normal screen to a widescreen because if folks know this, that, you know, you suddenly have double the real estate to play with (laughs) and suddenly window management becomes a real chore. (laughs) And regardless of which, you know, apps you have to actually, you know, work with that, it still requires a level of effort to, you know, if you have had set up something like that in the past, you need to then now translate it. And it never survived that, but it was incredibly useful at the beginning when I was doing that. So when I say automation, like it's not only about like, you know, little scripts running for, you know, you power up your Mac and, you know, these three things happen. It's also things like that. Like, you know, oh, can I have a shortcut that is going to do, you know, this and this and this. I'm huge on the whole, like automating like your day-to-day actions. I haven't truly deeply dived into it yet. I'm still in the, and I don't know if you do this, but like in the information gathering phase of like, you know, oh, what is out there? And the more I look into it, the better things get. So I keep on waiting for there to be like the aha moment. Like I had the exact same with ChatGPT, right? Like all of the, all of the AI generation stuff. It took me a very long time to get into it in the sense of like, I saw it come up. People were raving about it for, you know, months and months on end. And I'm like, I don't have a use case. I'm, I, I I didn't have a use case. I was seeing it. I was learning about it. I was, you know, figuring it out. But there wasn't something that would say like, aha, this is incredibly useful for me in my day life. And then suddenly I had a, a specific use case. And then everything changed. <laughs> yeah, same. I think I, I, I literally, I had, a, I had a, a 30 minute conversation with someone I used to work with. And he showed me how he uses it. And it was like a light bulb went off my brain. Right. And I'm still, I still, I'm, and that was the thing that, because I'd, this is only like a couple of months ago. So I think in maybe October last year, I was like, right, I'm going to try GPT-4. So, which is the paid version, $20 a month. I was like, right, let's give it a go. Because I keep hearing about it. I hear how, you know, people go, well, it was like, oh, you can't explain the difference. But once you've used 4, you can't go back to 3.5. 
And I was like, okay. And I, I kind of was using it, but I wasn't integrating it well enough into my workflow that I was seeing any return on the value. And I went, cancel it. Then I got on this conversation and he was like, oh, I have this. It was after they also launched the custom GPT. So for folks that don't know, basically it means that you can train a chatbot to be, and they have some that are pre-built. Like There's a tech sales advisor, right? So if you think where I'm historically have been searching Microsoft forums and Stack Overflow and all of that kind of, you know, power Googling, I like to call it, it does a lot of that for you. So it because it can search, it it's a really great way of kind of going, I'm still going through those same steps, but I'm not having to go to the sources myself and collect that information, it's putting it together for me. It has DALI access, which is really cool, playing with it. You can get some quite quirky results, but it's also fun to play with, I think. And I think it's that thing where I'm kind of going, I now see how this might fit into what I do. And it's not just, oh, I can use it to write some content or I can use it to generate some images or write an email. And I think that is very uh, a very surface level um, use case. But when you start to go, oh, actually, hang on, I can start to use it as a research tool. And that for me was the thing that I can kind of go, oh, I can start to use it if I have a, if someone mentions a an idea to me or an acronym or a, a process in an industry, it's rather than me having to go through several different sites to try and understand this, going to ChatGPT. Question, Paul. Do you actually ask ChatGPT, please and thank you? And do you actually talk to it as if it's a, a person that would understand pleasantries? I don't use pleasantries. But I do use full sentences. Right. In the past. I, 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 I love this idea. I think so. There's a very distinct separation between people that see it as a tool and people who see it as a thing that they're talking to. And even the fact right. that you use full sentences to me, like, leans you more into the group of people that, like, it's a thing that needs full sentences and proper grammar. And this might also come from your background and, you know, the fact that you appreciate nicely written things. And yeah, I, I am on the far end of that spectrum where I literally just throw words at it in any way, shape or form. I recently even discovered that I use, I love using dictation at it where I just use that yes. and I just yeah. spill everything that's in my brain. I have a default prompt that is awful and it says things like, don't ever give me warnings, don't ever tell me please and thank you, don't don't act as if you are a person, like I just want pure, you know, <laughs> uncensored information, like I want this, I want that, like don't do this, don't give me warnings, don't tell me you're an AI, don't do this, <laughs> just like the most yeah. rude possible, like <laughs> initial prompt just to get it sorted and in a way where it doesn't give me a, an amount of information that I don't care about. And then I just tell it to do things for me. And I love like on a, on a podcast I was I was listening to, like where folks were chatting about this conversation as well. I will be on the row where AI, when, when AI takes over, I will be the first one to go. <laughs> <laughs> 
goes like, <laughs> oh, Lydia. Oh, yeah, where she told us to practically, you know, she used this as a slave, practically. It's like, <laughs> information slave. That's what you are, Chad GPT. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not going to survive that initial <laughs> blast. You have higher chances than me. And I've seen folks that also are incredibly, like, you know, you know, when they get an answer, it's like, that's really good. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's like... I, yeah, you see, I'm not... That no, I'm not to that level. Um, I would say it's because I've done quite a deep since getting into it more recently. I've done a bit of a deeper dive on on effective prompts, and I would say if you're dictating to it, then you're doing that, but you're dictating. You're just not typing it. The more it is, the more the more information you 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 input, yeah. the better response you're going to get out. And in terms of the tone and the kind of idea, and I don't go sorry, but if it's like, is this helpful? I will say yes, that was helpful. No, that's not helpful, because it is still a it is it does still learn, in the sense of it will it will adjust to. It's not it, it, it's not AGI, which is scary ai right everyone talks about everyone talks about oh ai it's like no, no what we basically have is like a very 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 good version of predictive text that can search the internet and that can do web scraping agi which is artificial generative intelligence that's when we start to see the terminator <laughs> happening that's when the robots take over. That's when all the, all the Matrix. Then I'll be friendly. Then I'll, I'll t- say it, please and thank you. And, and how are you feeling? And yeah. And until that point, no, thank you. <laughs> until that point. No, exactly. Exactly. But I think it's, um, or until it starts sounding like Scarlett Johansson, if you understand. Yeah, that's that fair. No, I, I do understand that reference. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think I think that is, that's the, because also, like, again, people, I've seen folks that say, please and thank you to Siri. And I'm like, that's literally just a. They, there is a funny thing with that one as well because there was a study especially when it comes to kids growing up with this sort of tech right because you and i understand what it is right we you know we we get it as yeah. a concept i've 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 read a study a while back where kids who don't use you know societally accepted politeness to to whatever degree right but, you know and i say like societal as a, as a general term right because in the uk like not saying please and thank you is incredibly rude in some cultures is not so much right like you, you know just the thanks is, is more than enough mm-hmm. um it actually showcases that for for young kids who are still developing those social skills it actually traverses away from when they're using tech and moves into communication skills with actual people so there is an actual thing where some parents are sort of enforcing kids to be polite to Siri or, uh, you know, whatever uh, other voice activating you know, mm-hmm. things you have, you know, be it with you know, Amazon lady. <laughs> I just realized if, if we keep on yeah. saying it, because especially I think some folks have it like where they don't have like the keyword beforehand. I think, you know. Uh, Apple have introduced that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. you know, uh, Apple lady and Amazon lady. <laughs> Apple lady. <laughs> but the thing is, okay, but even even there, you're doing more than I would do because you're... you're no, 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 them. no. What I'm doing... No, no, no. Because you, it's you a miss feminine voice. Oh, yeah, because I, yeah. I do use the feminine voice on all of them. Yeah, no, but the idea is just like, I don't want to trigger people's like... <laughs> because we're not a full Apple household yet. I am working on that because we do have some smart lights around the house and currently I'm the only person that has control over them because I'm using, you know, Apple Lady from my phone and that is related to your voice rather than... So my partner can't 
use the lights. But funnily enough, in the beginning, we hadn't really <laughs> realized that as a problem because like he sort of would jokingly always try, especially because in the car, like I, I use, you know, I, I use the voice commands quite often in the car. Um, and he would always try. And sometimes like she would get confused and she would listen to him. So even though I know, like, again, intellectually, I know that's not how it works or it didn't, you know, I think it used to work where it would recognize all voices and then they started like actually limiting it to your voice. And then mm-hmm. <laughs> recently I just hear my partner arguing. <laughs> so, so there is a way to fix that. And that's by getting a like a HomePod, like where you can, like an Apple HomePod, which will you can then add different individuals within the household to be able to control like things within the house. He still won't be able to do things on my phone, which is fair enough. And that's, you know, even though I wouldn't mind him in particular, but like, I don't want any random person coming in and saying like, you know, you know, hey, Apple lady, can you do this and this and this and this like on on this phone? It's like, "Mm, no. Yeah, you see, uh, my my house is is a bit chaotic in that I have, hang on, I have one, two, three. So I have, I have, Obviously, I have. We use Apple like mobile devices, um, and I've got a Mac as well. And then uh, we have Amazon Lady. We have three of them. We have the Ring doorbell, and we have Hive lighting and heating. <laughs> so it's a bit of a mishmash. And you can get. And one thing I kind of was. You can obviously you can use like a Raspberry Pi to build a bridge, which essentially means you can like you can connect everything and, and apple home does a pretty good job of this of connecting in other apps um it's not perfect but i think it's i think we, we, it's starting to kind of come more together but my my ideally i want to automate this house a lot more yeah we have a similar aspiration and that is a, a big again we're, we're two techies in the house my partner is also a network engineer so you can imagine and, and then also yeah. we're in I I know I, I remember the stories about him running wire sharks. Yeah, yeah. No, just so we are two techies in the house. Yet at the same time, we're on two ends of the consumer tech spe- uh, spectrum. Whilst I'm definitely, especially since I've got a, had a, got a Mac, um, so that's been three years now. I am completely in the in the clutches of Apple. Uh, he is adamantly an anti-Apple person and he has his own reasons and they're very, you know, I, I agree with him on many things. I can't move away now from the comfort and how well done a lot of the sort of the ecosystem is. Like, I, I just, I, I can't, now that I know what it's like, I can't leave. <laughs> like, nothing, nothing else is like that. You know, you can always make the argument of like, you know, oh, Android, like, you know, you have the freedom, you can have that. But with freedom comes cost, right? And the cost is that everything just doesn't. I remember, and it sounds so silly, the first time I copied something from my iPhone and pasted it onto my Mac, it was like rainbows and sunshines suddenly, right? Like, it was so magical as they, they figured that out. So whilst we're both techies and we agree that we want the house to be automated at the same time, we completely disagree on the method. So whilst he wants to do it practically, you know, from the ground up, his own thing, his own script, getting a Raspberry Pi, you know, getting everything. And and there's a lot of things coming up now. Uh, there's a whole concept. I don't know if you've like read about this, like with Matter, uh, like the universal standard that they're trying to introduce as a home automation standard, uh, which is slow to uptake, but mm-hmm. it is getting yes, there, yes, right? Yeah, there's definitely yeah, hope. Yeah. Whilst I may definitely, you know, Apple Home is not perfect, right? I agree with you. 
yet it works, right? It will... Uh, it would work with most of the things that we want to use around the house. So, and it would also integrate with matter when the time comes. So why don't we just invest in this for now? And as uh, keeping eyes on the horizon with matter coming in. And then as that progresses and becomes more of a de facto standard, I'm more than happy to us to switch. But what I'm not going to do is wait for, you know, for for my partner to come up with the duct tape and gum and, you know, and some straws and just try to, like, hook it all together. I'm going to get a HomePod and I'm just going to hook everything to it and it's just going to work. Is it going to be perfect? No. Is it going to integrate with every single thing that we can buy? No. But it's going to be okay for now. For sure. I, 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 I am on the same page as you and I'm not... I get the the, the Apple. I've been in the Apple Apple ecosystem for ten years, maybe from like a phone perspective. And to take a very very like an example from this week, I need to send my phone off for repair. Um, I'm never. Side note: I'm never gonna when I get a new phone, I will never get a phone with a glass back again because it's the second time it's been broken, even though it's in a really expensive case. But I basically I have a a spare one. And it's, I needed to get this specific one because I have two SIMs, because I have a work SIM and a personal SIM on the same phone. So one's an eSIM. And I was going, and after the last time I got it repaired and getting the eSIM replaced was a real stress. This time I was like, oh, I really hope it doesn't happen again. Logged into this phone, which well, I didn't have last time, signed in my Apple ID, authenticated, went to add a mobile plan, and it said, Which SIM do you want to transfer? Hit transfer, it just straight over. So it just, I didn't even have to like take any SIM cards out or anything. I then did have to for one one of them, but like it's the same process as when I have changed my phone and or we went and brought my partner a new phone and she uploaded hers to iCloud and then I mean to be fair I say I, I did have an iPod back in the day but I uploaded hers to iCloud and then she turns her new phone on she signs in down and it's like yes okay you have a new phone with new tech but for her experience it works the same. Everything is in the same place, and you can't, you can't. That's I have not seen that replicated any that user experience. Just yesterday, actually, on this topic, like my dad called me and went like, "Oh, I'm getting a new phone," and he he's you know full on Android, and he said like, "Is there a way that I can just transfer everything?" And it might be my limited knowledge nowadays, you know, because it's been like three years since I've looked into Android, but especially cross. Uh, carriers. So he's moving from one, you know, Android phone to a different brand of Android phones. And I'm just sitting here going like, I I know there is like within the same companies, there is ways to do it. But overall, there isn't anything. The only saving grace, and mind you, like I use that too, is like the whole Google ecosystem, right? Because all of your contacts, all of your photos, all of those are the bits and pieces. If you use Drive as well, it's going to be on there as well. But, you know, especially for in the use case of my dad, like he doesn't have any files on his phone that he cares about in that sense. It's just the photos and the contacts, right? Like most of us would, um, like, you know, light phone users. And I just told him, like, that's really all you need. Use this. And mind you, like you said about your message, like, you know, switching, like, you know, taking everything to the new phone. I didn't do that. Like I do exactly what I told my dad, which is like, I keep the things that are important. And then I use the new phone as an opportunity of a clean slate because... As, as, you know, I think all of us do this, unless you're very sort of, you know, active with maintaining your phone. I have like, you know, however, ha, 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 actually, I don't know how many apps I have, but I think it's a ridiculous amount. 
I wanted to do a little bit of a comparison because the number was a lot higher than I thought it would be. <laughs> I have currently 126 apps on my phone. Okay. Yes. I see. I can't. This isn't fair because I haven't. It's, this is not a fair comparison. Let me do my iPad because that has, I think that mirrors most of the okay. apps I have on my phone. Because if I do, if I do this phone, it doesn't it doesn't right, have all the right. apps that I normally have. So it would not be it would not be fair on you to be like I, I have forty because yeah, I'm so good at this. Um, yeah. So if you don't know, it's in it's in it's in settings general, and then in about you have number of, of everything. One hundred and twenty-three. Okay. Okay. I feel better about myself. <laughs> what I'm what I'm concerned about is if and the thing is is again there's like that's probably a fair representation of actually of my phone. Oh my god, why did you take the gener so for for folks that are listening, Paul just presented to me on video an Apple pencil and my first question to you is why is it Gen 1? Why because I have an iPad mini uh Gen 5. Okay, you're excused. And I, I ordered the Gen 2 and then I looked at it and I went and it said incompatible. Okay. You're excused. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very passionate about. <laughs> I I don't. Whilst I understand, you know, from from a product perspective, it makes sense to have a cheaper version and a more expensive version. The 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 difference in comfort of using the Gen Two, especially if you're going to do anything remotely artsy. When when I was buying my iPad, it was genuinely a. I bought it because of the pen. So the, the, that was the, the mine was a reverse uh, like a reverse decision making of like I want to spend what can I what is the minimum amount of money I can spend on the actual piece of kit to make it work with it. When I brought this iPad, I was again I was like I actually was <clears throat> the context I brought it for was for holding um, demo scripts. So when I'm presenting, because I was I was turning up with like bits of paper, and then all my colleagues were there with with like iPads and iPad Minis, and I was like, "Huh, that's a much better way of doing it, because you can bookmark and you tell." So that's why. So that was kind of the specific use case I brought it for, um, and I've started to use it more, um, like more recently in kind of just just in like in day to day and at work. So whiteboarding, whiteboarding. right? Why Obviously. Um, and I think it's kind of getting into those kind of things. So it's, but, and I was like, again, I didn't want to, I didn't want to go out and go, all right, I'm going to, so I went, okay, I need to get, if I want to get a gen two, I would need to get a new iPad. And ultimately, right. My iPad mini is fine. It's, it's good for reading stuff. It's good for that. It's good because it's portable. It's probably not great. It's not so good for whiteboarding. It's a bit more of a constrained space, but. I wasn't going to go, and this is, you know, I previously I would have gone, well, I, in order to do this thing, I would need to go and buy a new iPad and a new this and new that. And I'm like, no, I need to, what I need to do is get myself to a point with this current one that it is not sustainable for me to continue using it in this way. Or I'm feeling constrained by this. It's why I'm, you know, my MacBook that I have is 10 years old. And it is now, I'm now going, I think I can probably justify getting a new one. I'm going to throw an idea at you because this is something that I've been playing with. So obviously with 
in, in <laughs> soon to happen changes in my work life, I will most likely not have access to my Mac, which I love. It's an M2 and it's glorious. I was thinking because I've so much of my, you know, outside of the day job work as well is happening on the Mac. I have so many, again, as, as we talk about automation, like I have some, so many scripts, so many little things that I just really enjoy working on, you know, Mac OS versus going back to Windows. I still use Windows, like my gaming PC is obviously on Windows because it's the easiest thing to use. Even though like I've toyed with the idea of like, can I do like a, like a Steam OS, like a Linux like distro for gaming, <laughs> which is definitely yeah. an option. Um, but, and I was thinking maybe I can just get a Mac, right? Like just get, get like a secondhand Mac, something that's going to be enough for me for my like personal use. And then I had the brilliant idea of like, hold on a second. Can an iPad do like 95% of the things that a Mac can do? The answer is yes, it can. It can do, if I think about like the way I use it for like outside of work stuff, like do, you know, browsing, uh, email answering, uh, editing, right? Editing audio, editing videos. Uh, I already do all of the, you know, alt uh, the, the animation and the uh, drawing stuff on it as well as I am. I have a keyboard. It, like it's, it has like the pointer support from the, like the touchpad. It has everything. I was thinking like, do I really need a Mac? No, I don't need a Mac. I just need a bigger iPad. <laughs> so I'm throwing this idea at you. <laughs> Have a look at the pro version of the iPad because it can do, I would say, from a work perspective, right? For everything that you would need in your personal life. The only thing that I would only be concerned with the iPad is like if I need to, if, you know, in the context of pre-sales, right? If I need to share my screen and do a demo, I wouldn't be confident. I haven't tried to be honest with you, it might still work perfectly fine, but there's still some oddities about, you know, running UI on a non, you know, on a mobile version of Chrome, let's say. There are some limitations there. But for your own personal use, an iPad Pro with, you know, enough juice for whatever it is that you want to do, I think will be more than sufficient. Yeah. And I have now shifted my wish list <laughs> because it is something that I want to, for example, like, you know, my birthday is coming up in April. Um, I'm thinking of gifting myself a iPad Pro by returning like the one I currently have and just getting it with, the, you know, full bells and whistles to be able to support all of the work that I want to do. So throwing the idea out there, you might not need to update your 10 year old Mac. You might just need a nicer iPad. I, uh, I have been exploring that. The current, so I, and I listened to a podcast about this actually the other day where they went through this same experiment of could you effectively get... So a big thing for me is that I, the reason I want, to, is I, want, is I want to be able to type. Typing is a really key part. And to get an to get an iPad, and I'm looking at maybe... I might even get an M3, 16-inch. Go, kind of go, go all in. The thing with that is can I get the same level of experience from an iPad Pro with a smart, well, so one is the experience and functionality, but also is the cost difference there? Because once you start to add on the accessories, very, very, very quickly gets very, the price starts to Yeah, yeah. and that's escalate. a fair point. And I, and I think, and I think that's where, so, so it's a good, I, I, you know, I think from what you're saying is absolutely true and for, 
75, 80% of what I want to do, yes, I could absolutely do it on an iPad Pro. But it's also going, actually, if I get a MacBook, that 20%, you know, I can then keep my iPad mini or even get a slightly newer iPad mini for a lot less money, but have it as a, like when I travel, it's nice to be able to slot it into my bag and not have to kind of, looking at, because again, the Pro, the iPad Pro is uh, not small. <laughs> when I looked at it and I think it's that it's that it's that's the again that's the yeah it's, it's whatever your use cases whilst whilst for me is especially like I've because I, I think I don't know if I mentioned it to you like I've started going into animation a little bit more because there was like um I use Procreate for yeah. uh, the drawing pieces but also they recently came out with Procreate Dreams which is I would say baby's first step to animation and I think it's great and I very quickly realized that the real estate I have on my like, I think it's 11-inch iPad is not... Like, it's a little bit too small. Just a tiny bit. And I'm starting to really hit that limit. And that's the only reason... Because, like, I have absolutely no quarrels with my current iPad. I'm very happy with it. It's just that little bit of a size. Like, just... I need a little bit more space. Just to, like, just to be a little bit more comfortable with... Because, like, for sketching, it's fantastic, right? It's literally, like, the size of a sketchbook. I've never... I Since, I, since I've got it, I, I stopped carrying sketchbooks with me. But for little things like that, also editing audio as well. Like, obviously, because I'm editing all of the episodes at the moment. And the fact that then I'll ha I won't have a Mac machine to do the, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff that I want to do... I'm like, I'm either, you know, again, I'm going to spend this money anyway, right? I'm either going to get a Mac, I'm going to get, a, or I'm going to upgrade the iPad. So which one am I going to choose? Like, I've already made the decision. The money is already like set aside, like in a, in a little tech, in a little tech yeah. fund that is just like <laughs> sitting there, like, you know, saying, saying to me, like, get me sooner, get me sooner. <laughs> um, I can hear the voice already. <laughs> like, it's, it's speaking to me. Um, but from, uh, and again, if not for, and I think it's, it's fair enough in your use case, but for me, with with the drawing, with the extra bits and pieces that I do, with the editing, just having that little bit of power, a little bit of, of screen space, plus, like, you know, you, you say the accessories. I already have the pen that I want to use. I'm not thinking of getting the keyboard with it because I have a, a, an assortment of keyboards that I love and enjoy. Uh, you haven't heard that because I've consciously put away the, the clicky keyboard that I have <laughs> for the recording because I can still sneakily <laughs> do some typing in the background and it doesn't sound like there is a, you know, a machine gun in the background. Apologies, apologies, uh if you can hear my very, very loud and audible mechanical keyboard. Just for reference and for, again, ASMR reasons, uh, this is mine. Oh, here we go, here we go. Oh, beautiful. Some, oh, it's, it's, it, and it's, it's the, um, I only got this about six months ago. I love it so much. But I think it's funny because for, depending on what I'm doing, so for me, for writing, I actually much prefer, and for those listening, I'm holding up like the old wireless really? Apple keyboard with like the really flat keys. Yeah, so I really, weirdly enough, I, I really like the kind of the flatness for, for typing, for writing, but also I, and again, it's, it's a weird thing, right? But I, I much, if I'm writing stuff, if I'm writing LinkedIn content, if I'm writing a newsletter, if I'm writing a video out, I would much rather use a laptop Really. Keyboard. There's key, I, I, and it's, yeah, it's a weird thing, but like my kind of ideal context is being sat like in a coffee shop with music on and, and, and it's so weird, but it's like just that kind of getting into that space. And I think 
getting into the state of mind to do something like that i don't i think is on is people underestimate actually that that how important that is to to being productive in it and feeling in in feeling in the moment and i can do it and i can it's not that i can't write when i'm at my desk but it's just that i feel more able to when just going right down to and we've talked a lot about all the different bits of tech we love to have and i've actually one thing that i have still not kind of pulled the trigger on and i heard about it like three years ago is a thing called the mute me button which is like a it's about the size of like um a coaster that you put a mug on and it's just a big button that has either red or green and it just turns you puts you on mute but it's a very and it's one of those things but i'm like you know what that would be really helpful i actually i have a i have a, a polaroma timer which is again i'm showing you it's basically a little thing and what i do right is i twist it um and it goes up to a time and then if i i'm just into the mic and if i press start that beep that is now a countdown timer and i can go stop but it will they can and it will then sound a little alarm but that has absolutely transformed my productivity because and we think we talked about time blocking before right if i'm going i need to just focus on a task for 20 minutes i will scroll this and i'm going to get again a bit more asmr the scroll probably can't hear that but you scroll it up and it gets to 20 and then i roll it out it gets 20 and i go right and i go start and i put it on my desk and then that is a visual reminder now i try using uh, i use windows like by default for for work that's the laptop i have for work i tried using like the focus timer i tried using my phone big no-no right don't use your phone because it has other things on it having a simple device and it could be anything right this is this is like this is probably a you you haven't sold me on you haven't sold me on the mute button but i as as we as you were discussing i already went to amazon and already purchased it (laughs) (laughs) so so thank you and we'll 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 leave the link in the in the show notes as well because the visual of it because it doesn't look like an egg timer right it doesn't look like a thing that's it's supposed to be in the kitchen it looks like a a, like a neat piece of tech and i immediately found it on amazon and just buy now and it's going to be in my house on saturday like because i think that is excellent i think that is fantastic Ah, excellent (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I want us to talk about change. Okay. I have sort of very vaguely kind of <laughs> kept on saying that <laughs> change is imminent in my career soon. Um I I'm not sure legally how much I can talk about this stuff, so I will not go into details un- until it's become sort of public knowledge. But one thing is for certain that comes February I will go through a career change in one way or another. Um, obviously, me and Paul have discussed this a lot offline, but and I'll be honest with you, and I'm really happy that we set this up as a as a as a, as the serious topic <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> serious I'm, topic, yeah. 
I wouldn't say I'm lost because, uh, as you know, like I have a couple of options. I'm obviously having multiple discussions with different people around like, what do I want to do next? Um, different companies, different options. I also have like my own business as well as, as a as a very valid option to sort of dig into whilst I'm still in a holding pattern. So I haven't really pulled the trigger on what mm-hmm. direction I want to take for certain. I'm keeping my options open as much as possible. The one thing I'm finding is that as I am in this sort of period of uncertainty and not really knowing what I'm going to do next, there is no timeline, there is no date that I can say like, yep, I'm definitely going to start doing a new thing starting, you know, next Friday. Like, that's not a thing I have. I'm finding myself a little bit lost as to what would be the a good thing I should be doing in the meantime. And... Mm-hmm. I've had some ideas and I mentioned animation before as well. Like I'm going through an animation course as a, hey, I have the time to do that now. And it's really going to be hopefully something that I'm going to start using with making, you know, more content, you know, be it on LinkedIn, YouTube, etc. But I feel like I can be doing more. Also, you know, I'm I'm volunteering quite a, a lot. So uh, I have like a local charity that I spend the majority of my time at the moment there um, because they need the help. And that makes me feel good about myself that I'm contributing to something worthwhile. But Mm. whilst that is fulfilling that need in my life, there's still a nagging voice in my head going like, you should be doing more and you should be doing something to further your career. Yeah. If you were in my shoes, Paul, and you were in this little crossroad of what is, you know, not really knowing what's happening in your career life, I'm I'm looking for a couple of things here from you. Okay. One is sort of the the thought process behind it and and you know the the details around it. I'm quite happy with navigating and figuring out how to do and how to make decisions. You know pros and cons. Like you know having the list, having I practically have a a, a Google spreadsheet with that, with all of the pros and cons of the different decisions mm-hmm. that potentially like I could have in front of me to make. The thing that keeps on nagging in, in my head is around. What is something that I can spend my time right now as a learning thing, be it a course, being spending time figuring out things, be it books that I should be investing my time into? And and that's really something I'm really struggling at the moment because of it's a little bit of a shift in career that I'm trying to achieve here, like not being so much of a field SE anymore, not being an individual contributor, potentially being more of a, again, broader role that I can hopefully achieve but if not being a field SE is also absolutely not a problem but even then because i'm given this opportunity right now what can i do to sort of further that path one of the things i was thinking is product management um courses even if i'm not and that is not actually a specific direction that i want to take at the moment i think understanding products and how do they actually get to market is a rare skill that folks on the field have so I'm like, okay, that sounds like something that potentially could be helpful. Is leadership another avenue I can take? A leadership course, just to understand from a, again, from a business perspective, is the business course that I should take around like, you know, managing finances, understanding a little bit the numbers. And I know you and I had had these conversations in the past. So just, this is where my head is sort of soaring around and it's very vague and, and apologies for, folk, for folks listening. This is genuinely what, like my what, where my head is at the moment. There's nothing concrete that I can sink my, my teeth into and say like, this is the thing. Sure. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. That's easy yeah. question for me then. Super easy and fun. No pressure. It's fine. I, 
no, 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 no. It's good. I, having been in a similar situation, I would say probably like maybe two and a half, three years ago. I think, I mean, you're 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 already doing a good part of what I would recommend you do, which is you're you're thinking carefully about what what is it that I want to do next. But also, I would caution: don't don't sort of attach yourself. And I saw someone say, like, you know, switching careers, and I'm I'm in my early thirties, or I'm pushing towards my mid thirties now. Someone was like, don't be afraid to switch careers in your mid thirties because it may feel like you've been at work forever, but you've still got 25, 30 years left to go of your career. You can change that. So so think about what it is you want to do next and what you want to get out of it and, and maybe being going and doing something slightly different. Great. The best thing about being a field SE, you could always go back to it. Okay, again, for folks who we're at the, the, this, I am now on day five of being in a management role, which is a big change for me, having gone from being in management to being back to being an individual contributor to being back now to being in management. And and I can link a, a, a podcast where I talk about that in a lot more detail. It's really about, I think, focusing on, on what it is you want to do next is, is first and foremost. And I would say the challenge, I would say, is to... The challenge of it, and the thing that I found hardest when I've been through this this position, is to feel like I have all this time, I should be doing all this stuff with it. Where actually, and we talked about this in the last episode, you spent the second half of last year travelling everywhere. Yes. Feeling exhausted. Feeling completely run down and honestly probably feeling a bit burnt out. You do not need to achieve anything in this time beyond just maintaining a healthy state of mind and actually being in a position of change and transition professionally is a really good time to just kind of hit a bit of a reset on on everything and I think again we talked about this in the last episode I would say maybe make a list of things that you want to read like do some research go oh hang on like there's these go back through linkedin posts that you've maybe linked and start to like start to build out a system start to go oh this is a reading list this is books i want to read and you know don't don't sort of say i want to read five books in the next month yeah no no or anything like overly ambitious because there's i'm not saying you are but i think don't don't sort of and i'm saying this to anybody as well don't set yourself unrealistic expectations but if it is if it's giving you an opportunity to sort of rethink and it's the same thing as when i when you start a new job or even a new role you have you then have a, a chance to something i'm doing at the moment is i'm going right how do i want to structure my day my week what do i want what do i want what do i need to prioritize what checklist do i need to have potential systems as well of like what are what are going to be the new the new things that you need to start looking at and paying attention to and how do you put that in a in an actual approachable system rather than just diving into the deep end and like 
which is it's still going to happen, right? Because you can't envision and imagine everything. And especially, and, and just to give folks a little bit more context around like, what am I, you know, most sort of like vague about is that, and it's still really hard to put a specific, because there is no title that I can say. It would be so easy if I could just say like, you know, product management, again, perfect example, right? I want to dive into product management. There is a very specific route that you can then take from being a field, you know, individual contributing SE and then jumping into product management, right? It's a, it's a, it's a straight line that has been well traversed and there are, you know, points and steps and milestones that you can take to get yourself there. What I'm trying to do, and it's it's really hard because it's not really a role that has a title yet, hopefully, no, I'll make a title for that, but it's this vague internal enablement person for the pre-sales team. And I'm I'm a, I'm a true believer that pre-sales teams are uh, obviously very biased, but you know, really believe that the pre-sales teams are incredibly not only helpful but fundamental to how products are being presented out to the market. Which is, as a company that sells product, that is the key factor. You want people to understand what your product is about. You want people to understand why they need to buy your product. And I don't think there is, you know, and and to the not trying to detract anything from a pure sales team, but the pre-sales team feels like this ball of energy that companies are not utilizing completely. And the pre-sales teams themselves don't know they have this capability to be such a change bringer and to actually put in more things out there. And that that being around, you know, content creation, that being around, um, you know, putting their messaging on top of whatever is already being produced by, you know, the, the general, you know, be it marketing team, sales team, etc. There is a specific individual and unique voice that pre-sales can put out there. And hopefully people can even hear, like, even as I'm talking about this stuff, like, I'm so incredibly enthusiastic about this. And it feels like there is a ginormous gap of someone coming in and saying, like, to you, Paul, as a leader of a pre-sales team, you need someone that comes in and looks at your team and and makes them the best they can be, be it via training, be it via helping them with content creation, with changing things around, with enabling their voices to be heard, even if they themselves, the individual contributors, don't have the time, the skills, the confidence to do that. So mm. I don't know how you would title this person. I keep on like sort of like in, internally in my head, I've said it like a pre-sales fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> pre-sales <Yeah>. groupie. <laughs> I think I think yeah I mean I think I think you're you're kind of you're kind of landing on on uh on pre-sales enablement really um because kind of it's that sort of like that's the that's the kind of the world you're in and that and I think as I said before that's kind of the role that I've just come from and I was part of my role was be, was still being a field SE which was really important to making sure that I was effective and I think if I would give you one piece of advice it would be don't don't complete. I don't think you have, but don't completely rule out having one foot. Oh, I think you absolutely have to, right? How can you problem that? That's why I don't like enablement as a as a title, because enablement by default yeah. is an external entity coming in and enabling you. But I think you can be. I think you can go in, and I don't think you even need to come up with a specific title for it. I think you could go and be a sales engineer in an organization. And you could say, I want to work on 
some longer term projects and here's the things I want to work on and they might be some enablement projects they might be some automation projects they might be um, some process projects right you can still bring those to your manager and say these and even when you're interviewing you can say that but it then means that your identity is I'm an SE so people in our space understand what you do even if people outside of it don't (laughs) Right, it's still, you don't solve that problem. <laughs> well, one problem at a time. One problem at a time. One problem at a time. Yeah, but I think, but there's no reason you don't. I don't think you need to create a new role or a new title to go and do what you want to do. I think it's about how is the expectations that you set. My only concern with that, and I'm because the thing is, I'm already doing this, right? I've been already doing it for the last two years as yeah. as a fiancé. Yeah. 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 My only concern is that what I don't want to do is to ever have to make the choice between I want to make something for the betterment of the entirety of the pre-sales team and or work on my patch. Yeah. Right. And and that's a very. Sure. Yeah. Because that's the reality of, of being in pre-sales, right? Like there, it's up and, ups and downs. Like when I have downtime, of course, it makes sense. I will spend time on these projects. And that's exactly what I've been doing. When there is a low point, you know, aka we've already hit our, you know, we hit a target, then things are ongoing, things are, you know, in a, in a state, deals are in a state where I can no longer contribute full-time. That makes sense, right? When you are a fully individual contributor. How do you then switch those priorities a little bit? it might be not being a full-on field SE. And that's why I'm thinking of this sort of like vague, not really, you know, specific role, because that's always going to take priority, right? The the sales and the and the, and the patch is always going True. to take priority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I switch that around where the priority, and it gives me the space and the time to work on these things full, the, to, to its fruition? True, and I, I think the way the way I managed that was I basically said, "Look, I'm fifty, and, and some of, some of it also comes down to how your um, you then get into you know, commission structures and stuff, which is which is which is important, right? But I don't mind showing you know, a part of my a part of my commission was based on opportunities, and a part of it was based on delivering projects and delivering longer term goals. So I was incentivized to do it, but also there was there was an agreement there that I was not in terms of my bandwidth." that I was like 50% of my bandwidth was to work on field stuff. And I had control over that. And I think if you can get that level of agreement, and that's what I was able to do was get agreement from the hiring manager. And he said, yeah, 50% of your time will be soup to nuts opportunities. The other 50% will be on this stuff. And I think if you have that agreement from the company and from your management, because they will have control over how much gets assigned to you. And as long as you're then saying and being open about how much bandwidth you have, you just have to go, well, I have 50% of my time is to spend on this. And if I hit that upper limit, I can't take on any more. Now, in terms of how you spend your time, of course, you're not going to be equally spending half of two and a half days a week on one and two and a yeah, half yeah. days a week on the other side. There will be yeah. ebbs and flows for sure. But that will be true in anything. And I think that it maybe com- coming up with a, I think that the job description matters far yes. more than the title does. Is what I would say is, is the kind of is the short way of putting it. Yeah. That That's that's very fair. Another idea I was thinking, and I really want, wanted to run this by you. Um, so far, I've been working relatively locally in the sense of I cover UK, 
specific verticals, right? That means that I have I have full ownership of that patch. Like nobody else is covering that. It's just me. So which is fantastic because you're you know you know you, you set your own rules and you know whatever you do like it's completely mm. up to you and you have the authority. The the other thing I was thinking is for it to be while still associated with a number and still being aligned because I think that's that is quite important. If you don't have if you're not aligned with a number to a territory, it is very easy to take too many steps back and disconnect from the field. What do you think about me positioning it in a more wider stance? So instead of I will cover UK public sector, let's say, how about I'm put against an EMEA number where suddenly my influence, so while still doing day-to-day field help in the sense of, you know, I'll cover this yeah. call because, you know, I'm still having an expertise in a particular product or a particular space, say like I'll cover these calls or have an agreement with the actual yeah. field assist to like assist or be like a escalation point or things like that, or however that might be phrased, but still be in a line with that yeah. EMEA number. And then again, the 50-50 split between 50% is about product delivering and results, because I think that's also really important because when I'm saying all of this, like, you know, oh, you know, make, make pre-sales great again. It's about like, how do you put numbers against that? And that's going to be 50%. The other 50% is you are aligned with this EMEA number. So whatever it is that you can do in that those 50, that 50% of the time, you need to be, you know, whenever, especially all hands on deck, right? You need to be there. So that's the other sort of direction that my, my brain is thinking because that being aligned to a specific patch, that means that you need to be full fully on it. You can't just... Yeah. So I guess, I guess final thought for me on this is, is that... And I know clearly it's it's going to be influenced by what you've been used to, and I think I would say I p- pitched a very similar thing to what you just pitched to me originally, and I was then actually kind of talked into going, well, no, it's, and I I actually now understand why is I would say you're better off being a full cycle SE on a smaller number of opportunities. So if you if you think if on average everyone has ten. And you say my limit is five, but I will be a full. I will be the full cycle on those five. You will. You will have. You will have more time in your day to do other things, but you will also be able to be working in things close enough. Because even if you're an escalation point, you're still one or two steps back from that front line. And I think it also comes down to for you as an SE uh you're just kind of going you know what there's still a lot to learn there's still oh, a lot absolutely. to kind of understand and it will give you that experience and I think you will do yourself a disservice if you remove yourself from that too soon I think you'll be better off sort of saying look I will spend x amount x percentage of my time and however that works in the region right and how that aligns and it again this is there is not time to get into this now however that aligns to a region to a an ae however that kind of shakes out that very much depends on the organization that you're working for however um i think you can still i I would still sort of say if you can be that full cycle se and just ensure that it is your manager who knows what the bounds are of your 
kind of time and your commitment to that and that they are helping you to protect that time to work on the bigger things and that's the the biggest you, you're definitely shifting me in that in that sort of direction it's still again nothing has been decided and i haven't put anything set set in no, stone yeah. um but you've you've really you've, you've really made me think more around because I, I think that was one of my one of my concerns it's like i don't want to leave yet there's still so much to do in the field yet at the same time i don't want to sort of pigeonhole myself into that field only role because i do want to do this stuff i do want to do more i have so much more to give yeah <laughs> yeah and you can you can do both you you, you think you think i can do both you can okay. do both I, I i think i've done it Right. And, and, and I, you know, having done it and having delivered on both sides, it is possible to do it. It's not always easy. Right. But it does give you that. It gives you that short term satisfaction you get from working opportunities and the long term getting to invest in in bigger projects and and being able to deliver where you want to deliver i think that's i would say think about think about that but i would i would would if i was in your position i would not step away from the field just yet okay that made me feel better thank you